Well, good morning, Emmaus Church community. It's so good to see you guys. I'm glad to be back. I was gone for a few weeks with my family. Uh, let's see, while I, while I kind of update you, raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. Welcome if you're new with us. We hope you feel right at home and um, glad that you joined us here in the middle of July. Raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. We'll hand one to you. There's also communication cards tucked into these, and if you'd like to fill out a card with a prayer request or uh, updated contact information, a comment, anything like that, that'd be great. So after almost, I mean, the last time I did not worship with you all was in July of 16. It was a long, full year for us, and then a couple of weeks ago, we, we, we went to Wisconsin, and we've been serving at a camp there in Wisconsin that's connected to Wheaton College, where we went to school, and uh, our role was to to serve the staff of the camp, about 200 college kids and graduate students and full-time uh, folks there. And so I taught a lot and met with kids and uh, others, met with students um, and the staff. And our kids are going to camp there this summer. Sienna, our daughter, is still there doing a seven-week program. So that's where we've been. And I wanted to say thanks to, uh, to Stephanie for preaching, to Ryan for preaching uh, two weeks ago, and for, to Stephen Lenzian for preaching last week. In, in our absence. And thanks to all of you who have been serving in different ways. Um, we've missed you, and it's super good to be back. Love worshiping with you guys. Um, so, I got, a, I got a message. Did you guys come to hear a message? All right, good. Just want to make sure I'm in the right place. All right. It was, uh, you know, it was raining in 65 degrees almost the whole time. Just like here, I understand, right? Yeah. So, we added like a one to the front of uh, the temperature there for you guys. All right. So the date was September 26, 1993, and I remember the date really specifically because it was my birthday. It was my 21st birthday, and I had recently transferred to Wheaton College in Illinois, um, and I had never seen the college. I had never, uh, didn't know anybody who was there, and I'd never even been to the Midwest before, but I was sure that God was leading me to transfer from the school I was at in California to the school in the middle of Illinois near Chicago. And so I emptied my savings account to make my first tuition payment because I was just confident. I was just sure that this is the direction that God had, had led me to. So it had been two weeks since I transferred. Uh, my first two weeks in the Midwest, at least there were two Sundays. And I know there were two Sundays because I was committed to finding a church in the Midwest. I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I knew I could do it. And I, I think that I must have chosen the two most awkward churches in Illinois to visit the first two weeks I was there. Painfully awkward church experiences, even for a guy who was like interested in being a part of the church. So I didn't want this to happen on the third Sunday that I was there because it was my 21st birthday and I figured, gosh, I don't want to have that experience again. So I walked to a park in downtown Wheaton, Illinois, and I sat on a park bench and I was in the habit at that time in my life of reading a chapter a day in the Bible. So I had a whole Sunday morning. That's a lot of time. So I figured I'd read the longest chapter in the Bible. Anybody know what the longest chapter in the Bible is? Psalm 119. Psalm right. It's this huge uh, prayer of David. It's 176 verses in this prayer of David. And it was a powerful experience for me. It was powerful. The heart of David's big prayer to God is love for God and love for his word. Love for God and love for his word. It was compelling to me. And it was exactly what I needed to read on my 21st birthday. Um, and it was such a powerful experience for me that I decided on my 22nd birthday, I'd do the same thing. And then I read it again on my 23rd birthday. And I've read this psalm on my birthday ever since. 
And uh, assuming I live to be 45, then on September 26th of this year, I'll read it again. I'll read it for the 24th time. It's become a really important, really powerful personal tradition for me. Now, one of the themes of Psalm 119 is this prayer for guidance. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, here's an example of what David prays. Direct my footsteps according to your word, David prays. That's the uh, 133rd verse in the 119th Psalm. Now, this summer, we're doing a teaching series called Common Prayers. I think this is part four or five. And uh, the, the hope is that we just uh, fall into, let ourselves sort of rest in the tradition of the Christian church, of the people of God, who have brought all kinds of prayers to the Lord. But there have been some that are prayed more often than others. There are some common prayers. And I hope that you take some sense of direction and comfort in, in, in um, recognizing and then in maybe beginning to pray these common prayers. I think this is one of the most common prayers for all people, this prayer for guidance. It's especially common for college students with whom I've been sharing life with the last three weeks. Um, they, they, I was just reminded in our time with them, they're constantly praying for guidance. They're constantly praying for direction. They're constantly praying for clarity. And it's sort of a rough gig as a college student in this sense that you get some clarity and it lasts a semester. And then you gotta pray for more clarity. And then it lasts a semester. Or maybe it lasts a summer. And then you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do after the summer? And so, I mean, I probably met with two or three kids a day for the last three weeks. And uh, by kids, I mean students and grad students. They seem, I seem old now to them. I, I kept telling them stories about, so in 1991, and I see them do this. And, and then I go, what? And they're like, yeah, we weren't even born in 1991. <laughs> Um, when I graduated high school, right? I was old enough to be their dad. Oh my gosh. So uh, as I met with these kids just over and over, they, that's what they're talking about. Chris is like, well, what do you think about this? And I'm kind of trying to figure out this and there's my next step. And I know I want to do this, but then I don't know what I should do for the summer and grad school, this or that. And so there's just this, this kind of this constant reality of prayers for guidance and this need for guidance. And that's not just unique to college students. Would you agree I mean, I know maybe it doesn't come as fast and as furious for uh, the rest of us who are not in college right now. I know some of you are, but this doesn't really ever go away. The sense that I got from some of these kids at Honey Rock was that, you know, once I kind of finish school and get settled, then I'll know what I'm going to do. And, that, and I was like, yeah, that doesn't really go that way. Like this prayer for guidance continues. This need for guidance is perpetual. We constantly are like, oh, wow, I've never been a parent before. I've never experienced an illness before. And there, so there's all kinds of ways that we're constantly praying things like, Lord, guide me. Lord, direct my steps. Lord, show me the way. So here's the good news that I want to share with you this morning, and that is this, that this prayer for guidance is a super common prayer in Scripture. We have all kinds of wisdom in our tradition to go to in order to, get, to um, learn from and, and gather insights as in terms of going to God for, for direction. It's not just a common prayer for young adults. You've got all kinds of wisdom and all kinds of tradition in our, in our faith of people who are in need of guidance or are looking for direction. So here's five examples of this. The first I just showed you, David prays. This is just from Psalms. Direct my steps according to your word. I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, later he prays, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. 
My hope is in you all day long. These are written in your notes, and I'd encourage you to circle the verbs. Circle the verbs. Listen to what these people are praying. David has God respond, which is really important because in this next one, God responds to this prayer of guidance, which says to us, he welcomes these kinds of prayers. He invites these kinds of prayers. Here's an example uh, of the next one. This is the voice of God in this prayer saying, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. I will watch over you. And David's not the only one that prays these kinds of things. Some of the Psalms are written by a dude named Asaph, and he testifies to the same thing. In Psalm 73, he testifies to it. He says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me into glory. And then just coming back to kind of a pure prayer again of David in, in Psalm 31, he, he establishes this prayer on the character and the nature of God. He reminds himself about who God is, since you are my rock and my fortress, since you are the one I count on, since you're the one I've given my life to, for the sake of your name, right? lead me and guide me, David prays. So this morning, I want to reflect on this common prayer for guidance, and I want to run through a series of questions about this, and, and I'm just going to pause even again to pray, because I know that some of you are in seasons where you are just desperate for a sense of which way should I go here, uh, and, and desperate for a need of God's assurance that, that he is pushing and leading and inviting you in. So Lord, even as I teach this morning, would you please bring clarity and direction to these, your people. I pray that we would hold nothing back intellectually, mentally, even in our hearts, and that we'd really be able and willing to say, well, if I could get God's direction, it would be about this. And I just pray that we would bring that before you and that maybe even as I teach, Lord, you would, you would show us the way in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to basically start with this simple assertion, and that is this. We all need guides. We all need guides. That's where I want to start this morning. You were not meant to do life alone. You were not meant to not need people. Uh, you were created with needs despite the popular cultural icon of successful, of masculine, of able, you don't have to do it alone, right? The, the, the key and the ideal is not the Lone Ranger who doesn't need anybody. You were made to need guidance, right? Especially in seasons of transition. What changes or what, what differentiates, it's not, the, it's not the changes that really blow lives up. It's the transition spaces between the changes. And what differentiates a positive change in life from a disastrous change in life is the transition between the two. And what makes for a good transition? A guide. A guide does. You need someone who has been there. You need someone who knows more than you, who is wiser than you, who is stronger than you, who can speak into the realities that you are facing. And there's the, all the little changes that happen all throughout the day, and then there's some of the big ones. Like leaving college, like maybe getting married, like having kids or having more kids or changing careers or maybe transitioning into retirement. These are the seasons, these big steps where we really are made aware, I think, of our need for guides. We need trusted guides. Uh, when I was 29 years old, I was in the worst physical shape of my life and I was not happy about it. 
And so I set a goal to be in better shape at 30 than at 29. At that time, Sharon, 30 seemed really old. So that seemed like a big goal, right? At 30, when I'm old, I'm going to be in better shape than when I'm uh, 29. So what I did, essentially, is I started running. And I hated running. I just hated it. I uh, did not enjoy it. After a while, like four years, I finally started sort of enjoying it, right? And, and, I, would, um, and I would run like 5Ks, 10Ks. I wasn't a big runner. Occasionally, I'd do a, a half marathon or something like that. And um, I would make small improvements. It was pretty much constantly painful uh, for me. Uh, but then in my 30s, life got more intense. And a friend of mine said this. I think it's the best quote I've ever heard about being in your 30s. My friend said, your 30s ought to come with a warning label. <laughs> and I think they should, right? They should. I don't know if, it's, if it was that way for you or um, if you're in the midst of your 30s now, as some of you are. Like, life crashed in on me in my 30s. The, the brokenness and the reality of how hard life can be hit me in, in my 30s. And so it was in the midst of that when life became more intense for me, more intense than it had been um, for me, that I'd, I signed up for my first marathon. I decided I'm going to run a marathon. And uh, typically when I would run, I would run all by myself. And if I would run with other people, I would choose people who were at my level, right? Guys who were like as good as runners as, as I was and, and not a whole lot better. They were my peers that I was running with. But in order to transition from 10K guy to marathon guy, I recognized I needed some help. I needed some guidance. Uh, and I know we need our peers. And it's just critical that we have friends and companions. But companions are not guides. Okay? Companions are not guides. Companions are companions. Guides are people who are farther down the road than you are. And I knew I needed not just more peers to help me. Peers have their place. Got to have peers. But I recognized I needed a guide and so um, I, I was able to connect with a couple of guys from town who run 100-mile races. They run the Western States 100. They were training to do it again. And so on their recovery days, they said I could run with them, right? So when they only ran like 20 miles, I got to run along with them. And they said, yeah, just meet us at the corner at 410. And I said, you know, I, I, I can't. I, I work like way past that time. And they're like, no, AM. Oh, right? Like that was my first sign that like, Oh, this is going to be different, right? These guys are going to take me to another level. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, they showed me how to, how to like up my running game. They told me everything they knew. They, I don't know everything, but they seriously educated me. Here's the shoes you wear. Here's the food you eat. Here's what you drink. Here's what you don't drink. Here's how you do it. Don't ask questions. Just do it the way we're doing it. We will be your guides. And they showed me how. And I, and I experienced drastic change and improvement as I was guided through this. So we're talking about the, the, the prayer for guidance. And my basic premise is that we need guides. We need guidance. We need people who will guide us. And now here's the piece that's so amazing. Okay, The biblical worldview reveals this to us. In scripture, we learn this, that God can be our guide. That's amazing. You're used to that concept, many of you, but that's amazing, and you should be amazed by that. You should go, that, that's incredible. We need guidance, and the Bible reveals that we can go to God for it. We need a guide, and the Bible reveals this God who is so interested and in love with us that he wants to provide the guidance that we need. I think it's one of the most powerful dynamics of the biblical worldview that God can guide us. This is certainly not to say that we don't also need others, 
We don't need mentors or people to disciple us or lead us or those kind of things. We do. But this is to say that at an ultimate level, it is possible to have a relationship with God that is so real, that is so practical, that is so intimate, that yes, you can go to him for real guidance and you can expect him to give it to you. You can pray to the Lord for guidance and you can expect him to answer that prayer. All right. This is, after all, what David prays. This is what Asaph prays. So many others in our tradition have prayed this. God, guide my steps. So the basic idea, you and I need God, guides. And the amazing revelation from the Bible is that God, who is the creator of everything, right? The master of the universe can and will, chooses to guide you provide guidance for you. We can go to God for guidance. Okay, series of questions. First question, how? How does God guide us? Here's the answer. One step at a time. One step at a time. Typically, God guides us one step at a time. Sometimes he reveals the big picture. That's called a vision. Run a marathon. Right? Start a family. Plant a church. Change careers. Pursue this hope. But that's a vision. So he sometimes lays out the big picture. But he doesn't tell you how to go about that, except typically for just one step at a time. Um, these, these, this is the typical thing that we see in Scripture. So should we pray like David? Lord, direct my steps. Yes, we should. We should absolutely pray that. But I'm encouraging us to recognize that God typically guides us. God breaks rules all the time. But in scripture, typically we see God guiding us one step at a time. Second question, why does he guide us like that? Because it's about the relationship. It's not about the destination. That's why. It's about the relationship. That's more important to God than the destination. Because God wants to journey with you. He doesn't just want to tell you where to go. That's beautiful. Um, until a few years ago, when we all got these computers in our pockets, uh, we would ask each other for directions all the time. Remember that? Hey, can you give me directions to so-and-so place? And you would say, oh, totally, I can tell you how to get there. And you give them an address, and then you give them a few steps. Yeah, you take the 80, and then you exit 65, and then you take Lincoln Boulevard. It's a new exit. You come in, and the theater's on the right. I mean, I did that all the time, right? I, st I still do. This is typically the way we do it in our culture. If you grew up here in this culture, you probably have had many experiences in which you have told somebody how to get somewhere. You give them a variety of steps that uh, enables them to get to where they need to go. My wife is from Nicaragua. And uh, nicely timed. <laughs> Are you walking out on me? No? Okay, good. Throughout a back, thanks to Delta Airlines or somebody like that. Um, okay, so yeah, Carmen's from Nicaragua, and when people ask for, for um, directions in Nicaragua, they don't tell you. They show you. That's how they do it. They show you. So this has happened to us. We'll be visiting Carmen's family. We'll be, oh, and then we'll be lost. We'll get on phone. We'll say, hey, we need to find the market, or we, we can't, the river's up, and we can't, how do we get to the beach? And they'll say, stay right where you are. We're coming. 
And, and then they show up, and there's like three of them in the car, and one of them gets out and gets in our car, and, and then sits with us, and then the person in the car in front of us will stick their head out the window, and they'll, do, so they'll say something that actually is very much like Jesus. Do you know what they'll say? Follow me. Exactly. And they will show us the way to where we need to go, right? Why does God... See, I value efficiency. This is what has been revealed in 20 years of marriage um, to someone from another culture. I value efficiency. It's not saying it's better. I mean, most times it's not. They value relationship. They value relationship. So it's a subtle difference at work. Why does God guide us one step at a time when God knows the way and he could just tell me all at once the five or six steps I need to take to get there? Because more important to God than the destination is the relationship. The relationship is what's most important to God. He could say, here's what you need to know. You go to this college. He could lay it out in eight steps for me. He could. He knows. He could say, go to this college, meet this girl, take this job. Don't take the second job you're offered. Take the third job. The second job is going to look good. Don't take that one. Take the third job. Move to this place, right? You go through a hard time. Uh, that's just coming. That's just the way life is. You need to find this person. This person will help you through that hard time. Got the name? Don't lose it. Okay, good. Then you're going to move over here, and it's going to be different for you here. Make sure you live in this part of the town because there's people that, you, that I want you to meet right there. And then you're going to go to Florida, and it'll be 50 years from now, and I'll see you then. All right? Have a good time. Good luck. Got it? That would be a very efficient of God to lead me like that, but that's not the way God does. God does it totally differently than that. You know how God does it? Here's the next step. I'll, sh I'll show you. I'll be right here. In fact, I'll just come with you. Just follow me. I'll just walk along with you. We'll just take this one step at a time. Why? Ultimately, I don't know. But what appears to me from Scripture is that apparently God's really interested in having a relationship. And he's so interested in having a relationship that he'd just rather go along the journey with me even though he could tell me really simply um, the way to go all at once. Finally, what does this require of us? Uh, I want to suggest it requires three things. First, it requires trust. It requires trust. Friends, you and I need to decide in our hearts and in our minds to trust God as our guide, which is not the same as as our advisor or as someone whose opinion we might take into consideration when it's convenient. Okay, we, that's the decision we need to make. Uh, that's what distinguishes a Christ follower from somebody who's just sort of interested in general spirituality. I'll take a bit from here and I'll take a bit from there. You and I are invited to make the decision to trust God to guide us. And if you're going to pray to God for guidance, it would be... It would be incongruent, it would be inconsistent for you then not to go to him and trust what he says when he guides you. Uh, quick story, a few years ago, um, we were traveling, Rich Lester's on staff here, Stephen Henning and I, who's been a volunteer for a long time, been a part of the church, we went to Ethiopia for a couple of weeks to visit this orphanage, and we, we traveled through the Omo Valley, which is this really, uh, I don't know, it's just this it's what you think, it's what I think of when I think Ethiopia. I think this big, open, wide desert. And it was at a time when there was a lot of political tension and a lot of religious tension. In fact, it's the only time this has ever happened to me. I drove by Christian churches that were burning. They were smoldering. 
because they had been burned down by the other major religion in the area. Um, it was intense. It was one of the most intense uh, situations I had been in. I was not from Ethiopia. I did not speak Amharic. Uh, Rich was a missionary there for a little while. He knew the language. He knew the way. He'd made this trip a bunch of times. He was familiar with the cultural dynamics. So Rich essentially served as our guide. When I am here in California, I typically am in a position, at least my major work here at the church, where I'm the one leading. I'm the one making the decisions. But I wasn't in California anymore, Dorothy. I was in Ethiopia, right? And it was really, really clear. I, I needed guidance. I needed a guide. And the only way that was going to work is if I trusted Rich. I just needed to trust that he was going to make the call that needed to be made. So he would decide where we ate. They literally had... Um, they had like two places you could buy meat. And there was a Muslim symbol on one and a Christian symbol on the other. Two places you could stay, right? He's the one, I, that, that place looks way better. He's like, no, no, not, not, not if you're Christian. We probably ought to go to this place. I just simply had to trust him, right? These were his decisions to make. I had to trust him. The amazing thing, friends, is that you can ask God to be your guide, but that requires that you trust him. That's what it requires, that you trust him. And that's something that maybe happens once at a critical point in your life. But I would, I would remind you and encourage you, this is something that happens regularly throughout the day forever. It's just constantly in need. We are constantly in need of sort of renewing our trust in God. It's amazing how you can know all the truth. Your theology can be sound. And a little thing will bump you off. And you struggle to trust God now. Nothing's changed in your theology. It's just your experience. So we are constantly given opportunities to place our trust in God. Secondly, what does this require of us? Uh, it requires that we let go of control, uh, and we do this in action. Um, the word that we typically use in churches is surrender. Right? To to the choice to trust your guide is not just a spiritual choice. It's got to be a physical thing. If you can't show me in the physical, i.e. your checkbook, your calendar, the people that you hang out, if you can't show me physically how you are letting go of control and surrendering to God, then I wonder who is actually guiding you. I noticed a few days into our Ethiopia trip that I was just doing whatever Rich told me to do. I mean, I was just doing it. I wasn't even questioning him anymore. He would say, like, pay that guy. I'd pay that guy. Take off your shoes. We'd take off your shoes. Don't make eye contact. Okay, I won't. I'll just look down. I'll resist the curiosity. I won't look, right? Uh, eat that. Okay. I'll eat that, right? That's just the way it was. In reality, I had let go of control. I had surrendered control to my guide in that situation. Friends, if we're going to allow, allow God and ask God to guide us, then, then we got to surrender control. It's totally inconsistent to say, God, guide me here, but I'll make the call, right? No. We're still in charge of our finances most of the time. We're still in charge of our sexuality most of the time. We're still in charge of the way we use our time. It's inconsistent. We need to let go of control of those kinds of things. We need to let go of control. Man, it sure looks like that's a better way to go, God. But that's just not, we've surrendered that. That's what we let go of. It's not that you become a robot or that you check your brain at the door. It's not what I'm saying. But it's that you don't just do what you think is better, right? You trust the guidance of God, which is often revealed to us in, in Scripture. I think that we need to admit a lot of the time that we just really don't want God's guidance. Um, and if that's the case, we should probably stop pretending that we do. But if we do want God's guidance and we 
do want God to guide us, then what that requires of us is that we surrender control. Like David prays, direct, did you notice in that first verse, direct my footsteps, what does it say on your notes? Direct my footsteps, what? According to, you see it? According to your word. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Direct my footsteps according to what you say. So there's this letting go of control. There's this surrender there. And then finally, this requires that I obey God. Even when it may not make sense to me, even when I may not like it, God can be your guide. But ultimately, that does require the big old word, obedience, right? That's what we need to do. Toward the end of our time in Ethiopia, we drove for three days straight. And we had some trouble, you can go ahead and go to that, uh, getting over this river. And so it delayed our time. And we were trying to get through this town before the celebration of Epiphany, which is in January, which the Ethiopian church celebrates like bigger than Christmas. So you couldn't even drive, as you can see. We had to just, we, we got there right at the wrong time uh, for our travel um, intentions. And so consequently, we just pulled over to the side of the road and we just enjoyed the, the, the parade that lasted most of the morning as people celebrated this Christian, um, this Christian holiday. And so I was up there on the top of this Land Rover with this camera and I'm just enjoying it. I'm just taking it in. It's very different than anything I'd ever seen. These beautiful songs are being sung. People are chanting and moving around. I just wanted to stay there. Uh, but what you don't see in the picture, in the movie, is that right behind our car, this, this van pulled up. And eventually, out of the van come five or six young guys, and they're not dancing and celebrating. They're not uh, celebrating Christian uh, faith. And in fact, they're really antagonistic about it. And Rich says to them, Salamno, which is like peace. And they don't say anything. And then he puts it in the form of a question. Do we have peace? They didn't say anything. And I'm up there hearing these guys sing, rolling the camera. And out of the, like, the corner of my ear, I hear Rich say, get in the car right now. <laughs> get in the car right now. Lock the door. And I just did. I just, it happens later and it actually you're not going to be able to see it. It doesn't say anything. It just, it just, you just turn it off, right? But here's what was interesting to me about that. I didn't even question it. I didn't even question it uh, because I was in this mode of recognizing that this is, this is my guide for this time, and I need to just do what he says. I just need to do what he says. I just need to obey him. What was funny is that, is that later we laughed. Steve and I laughed about how immediately we hopped off the car, you know, like our dad told us, get down from there. I mean, we just did it so fast. And when we were flying home in the airplane, we made sure that Rich knew he was no longer our guide and we weren't going to do whatever he said anymore, right? And that was fun. But in that moment of potential danger, there was just this simple and instant obedience. It wasn't a suggestion that I might consider. It wasn't an opinion that I might debate. Just a simple word of instruction, and I obeyed it for one reason. For one reason. He was my guide. That's why. I was looking to him for guidance. So the amazing reality, friends, is that in the Bible, we are taught to pray to God for guidance. In fact, it is a common prayer in Scripture. What a gift. What a privilege that we can go to God for guidance. But going to God means that you trust him. It means that you let go of control. It means that you obey him. Why? Because he's your guide. That's why. That's the reason. Because he's your guide. Right? So that's a whole lot to think about this morning. And I realize that. That's a lot of content. But let me just sum it up um, with, with this. In your, in your search for direction, 
in your search for direction, as you struggle to find out what to do, can I encourage you to focus more on the guide and less on the destination? Can I give that to you as a, as a take home? I encourage you to focus more on the guide and less on the destination. We typically think, we took these pictures, we typically focus on the end of the trail. Where am I going? And there's times when we need to get that big vision, right? Absolutely. But we live day to day with this big vision. We're just obsessed with it. And, and, and the, the, what we're invited to do, and we know God's with us. We, we, we trust God's there. And maybe he's even like, maybe we even have a sense that God is like offering his help. And we know that. But we're like, yeah, 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 I got that. But I'm looking way up there. And what I'm inviting us today is to say, okay, I'm just going to focus right here. I'm just going to focus right here on the guide. I'm going to believe that he knows the way, that as I focus on him here and now, he will provide. I can let the future blur a bit. I don't need to know the details about that right now. What I need is to focus on the one who has said, come on, come on, I'll show you the way. I'll show you one step at a time. We'll do this together. I'll be right here with you. I want to have a relationship with you. The, the, the destination isn't even as important as this relationship that, that we're building together. And that we could take comfort in that and that we could also walk real boldly as we focus on our guide. Let's pray together. So Lord, I wonder what, what folks are, are wrestling with and decisions that need to be made that are, I'm sure some of these are just massive. I'm sure the sense of responsibility is heavy on people's shoulders. And, um, that the need for clarity is, is pretty dramatic and the ramifications that we perceive at least of our missing some sort of right step, they, they, they feel destructive and, and scary. And I also know that we've probably, we've probably struggled just to know and to believe that you're interested in the day-to-day -day at times. But I pray, Lord, that as we, uh, as we respond in the next now, in the next few minutes to, to your word, as we share and as we sing and as we celebrate communion together, you would assure us of your presence. You would remind us of your desire to guide us along the way. And I just pray that even now you bring clarity, bring a sense of clarity to us. Guide our steps, Lord, according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.